Wednesday night edition of the pod. Danny is back getting ready to talk about what was a really fun last day of the season, much better than last year was that Wolves Nuggets game. I think I really want to focus on that. And then, of course, we'll go through all the rest of the action around the league, give you the playoff matchups as well, and even maybe preview a series or two. We'll see how we're doing it in terms of time here. So uh, let's first talk about, uh, Danny, this huge win for Minnesota ultimately took it 112 106 in overtime they led throughout denver nuggets came back down the stretch in regulation had a chance to win it at the end of regulation taj gibson stopped that and then they're able to pull away in ot outscoring the nuggets 11 to 5 yeah it was a game that in many ways reflected the stories of both of these teams this season i mean for me with denver the idea that they kind of fluttered a little bit you know at various moments in the game but then had that big furious comeback late but that furious comeback late just ended up not being enough and i feel like in many ways they are just such a a hard luck story for this because they they just fell back a little bit too far and then even though they kind of i would say they exceeded expectations at the very end of the season that wasn't enough to make up the gap that had been already created so are you in agreement with me now that the worst loss this season was them losing to memphis or uh, i am yeah yeah (laughs) And if Minnesota had lost this game, the worst loss of the season would have been them losing at home to Memphis. <laughs> so, uh, Congratulations but, to the Grizzlies causing existential crises, crises in franchises since like April 1st, 20, <laughs> 2018. <laughs> so taking through the particulars here. Nikola Jokic was unbelievable early, but I believe he missed his last five shots. He was 14 to 20 at one point, missed his last five, finished with 35 points, 10 rebounds, only three assists, interestingly enough, uh, which is something that we will get to a, a little bit. Will Barton kept them in it early with 15 first half points. They went away from it a little bit more late. He was five out of 10 on threes. Denver finished the game 13 out of 32 on threes, but had a, a really cold stretch early in the fourth where I thought they could have maybe taken control, gotten right back into it at least. They didn't. Then they had that furious rally down the end. Uh, Jamal Murray also had 24 the Nuggets, who had four players play 42 minutes or more, led by Wilson Chandler, who took three shots in 48 minutes, but played pretty good defense, I thought, on Jimmy Butler. I don't want to put the cart ahead of the horse too much, but I, one of the things that struck me about this game was you talked about Jokic missing his last five shots. Those five shots were not the same in terms of quality and situation that a lot of his shots were early in the yeah. game, and I have some issues with that. No, absolutely. And for Minnesota, I mean, we're probably haven't talked enough about them yet i mean as the winners here first playoff appearance since 2004 when they made it to the western conference finals kevin garnett won mvp there led by sam cassell and latrell sprewell in addition to garnett that season one of the longest might even have been the longest playoff drought in league history and Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns uh, were outstanding. Butler maybe got the ball a little bit too much down the stretch, but 31 points, 10 to 13 from the foul line, and we missed a couple of key ones late. F- five assists. Uh, Jeff Teague had 17 and seven assists. Towns had 26, 12 and 19 from the field, and amazingly only two free throws because he was getting murdered out there at times. Couldn't get a call. And Andrew Wiggins, I thought, really stepped forward to play an efficient, supportive game in which he was really the fourth option, but delivered uh, to the tune of 18 points uh, on only 13 shooting possessions uh, as well. And then Kaj Gibson was the defensive hero down the stretch, and uh, no Wolf played more than 18 minutes 
minutes off the bench that was jamal crawford who uh had 18 minutes and was one of seven from the field yeah a, a lot of big performances from minnesota wiggins hitting the two biggest free throws of his life was certainly significant late in this game but i think a place to start in terms of really framing the ending of this game itself was taj gibson's defense i thought that you calling him the defensive hero is certainly apt certainly fair and as as much as certain parts of his game have waned a little bit as he's you know i would say he's post prime at this point or at least real close to it his man-to-man defense especially against somebody who's not going to take him off the dribble is strong and i thought he did a wonderful job on Nikola Jokic. yeah and uh i thought he did a really good job on him when they went to the post-ups and they did that late you know when they were doing pick and pop but gibson had a really tough ask to get him to to cover all that ground and then they decided all right we're going to switch that and that put gibson on jamal murray and jamal murray cooked him a couple of times taj is not quite the switch guy and jamal murray is starting to mature into a, a pretty decent guy beating switches as well it's been some growth in his game but gibson heroic performance in part because he had to exit monday's game with neck soreness and he said uh they pumped me good with some full of some pretty good drugs uh, after the game uh some pain medications presumably was how he was able to make it through um let's talk a little bit about uh, the third quarter or actually the first half it was 62 54 at halftime and as is often the case with the nuggets Jokic was plus two and they trailed by eight points yeah and gary harris did play in this game played 21 minutes but he came off the bench and i i don't know if you agree with me to me he just didn't look all the way like himself here and that's not anyone's fault that's just you know trying to get a guy back when he's been yeah. dealing with an in when he's been dealing with an injury it, it happens and while there are there is an expensive member outside of gary harris who is his own thing because he's not a bench player of denver's bench i i didn't i didn't love what mason Plumley gave them in this game i didn't love what devin harris gave them in this game and it also didn't seem like michael malone trusted those guys which i kind of understand because they didn't deliver yeah they didn't and i mean i i thought with them down i mean he had to just continue rolling with Jokic, who wasn't in foul trouble who was playing amazingly well Jokic even played 20 minutes in the first half i i would be shocked if 46 minutes weren't uh, his career high uh so he played 21 minutes in the second half and he did run out of steam late i mean he was unbelievable especially in the third quarter hitting three threes a couple of them just ridiculously contested he started to some degree and this was something that got malone into trouble later actually being able to score in the post against guys his size you know we had have highlighted throughout his career how good he is against switches but then he got into the post against towns who was nearing foul trouble and is not the greatest post defender so yogurt was able to score on him he went to the turnaround and then uh in part because the pick and roll game too was killing I mean, that was the other thing that they just pick and rolls on the side with Jokic popping to three they just couldn't deal with it they either Jokic was getting a three at the top of the key especially if it was kind of in a semi-transition step-up type of situation or the big would try to get back to Jokic too quickly and then they were just able to drive baseline right away for a layup that happened a couple of times so they really were struggling to guard that and then all of a sudden in that fourth quarter it turned into a defensive game in the fourth quarter it was 20 to 15 Denver on 21 possessions so the game really slowed down you'll see that happen a lot too when guys are playing a ton of minutes they just won't be pushing the ball as hard and we definitely didn't see that at all but jamal murray hit some huge shots uh, after he missed a, a few open threes uh, on those switches on gibson and denver was able to get back into contact um and another issue for the wolves was that carl towns after a dominant game early just did not get the touches in that 15 point fourth quarter yeah and it was 
kind of remarkable considering what we've seen from both of these teams in the past that really I think what defined this game for me was both teams having their offenses devolve in that fourth quarter you know other than in transition there were a couple times when when guys got look or on a broken defense I think one of the shots that Teague got was on a possession when Denver wasn't completely set there was another one Denver I believe scored off an offensive rebound but by and large these are two teams that have stifled at certain moments especially at inconvenient moments this season and I thought we saw that to a startling degree from both of them in this game was just that Minnesota came into it with a lead and then broke out of it a little bit late what do you take away and again we'll get down to the nitty-gritty we haven't done this in a while i'm really looking forward to actually going possession by possession down the end because this was you know a classic game at the end of the regular season as i mentioned on the show yesterday there's only the third winner go home game on the last night of the regular season uh, in the last like 30 years and what do you take away if anything about the games and the comparison between carl anthony towns and nikola Jokic in this one well i think that Jokic did you know he did struggle late but malone if you you want to credit him or I mean or Minnesota's defense however it goes he wasn't really put in a circumstance to succeed and I think a great representation of that was the last play of regulation where basically he just had the ball in an iso had the ball I think he started with it at about 20 feet away and Jokic is a spectacular player and a, and a really talented offensive one but that's not really in his wheelhouse the same way that it is for Carl Anthony Towns because Towns is so much more dynamic scoring for himself with the ball in his hands in those sort of circumstances Jokic can pass he's a better better passer than Towns but that specific strength is something that Towns has over Jokic yeah I, I think that's true and while Jokic is certainly a great pick and pop guy his three-point shooting has been one of the most encouraging areas of growth in his game this season yeah saying hey we're gonna run the last shot for Nikola Jokic to just make a one-on-one move uh does not seem like the best use of his talents and they did a lot of post-ups late for him I didn't think worked very well they got away from the pick and pop which I thought was working great and then they were getting switches out of that uh and then murray was able to go to work they also were just taking way too long to get the ball into Jokic in the post like he was catching it with like you know 20 feet from the basket with his back to goal with seven six on the shot clock uh, which was a struggle but uh, for all those things i think you make the point that towns who you know was probably underutilized himself in this game especially down the end it just has more ways to get the ball more ways to score when of course you know he's actually utilized um yeah I mean, and his, his last shot in regulation was 617 right and, and that was a tip-in yeah <laughs> uh they did try to go to him once and Millsap actually stoned him pretty well um and i thought it was also interesting down the end a lot of minnesota they really were going after Jokic in pick and roll a lot of times even with jeff teague rather Rather than Butler, I mean Butler heroically. I mean, this is only what his third game back. Played 42 minutes in this one, and I thought he looked as close as you could hope to himself. Um, and there wasn't necessarily a guy that he had to guard who was his size defensively. So I think he was able to rest a little bit more on T than he might normally. Um, but yeah, and I didn't think it really worked that well with Teague and Gibson because neither of those guys are as dynamic. Um, and Carl Towns just was kind of taken out of it because Millsap was guarding him, but they still could have gotten the switch with Murray guarding Towns in the post. You know, they they got that one time, I think, down the end. They were switching that a lot. So I still would have liked to have seen Carl Towns be more involved down the end, but it ended up working out, but mostly because Minnesota was able to put the clamps on them in overtime and, you know, Denver missed a few shots. But mostly I think it just, it was just an absolute war of a game and, and everyone, I think, just wore down mentally and 
mean physically from the level of intensity over that amount of time yeah i would certainly say that that is fair overall where do you want to kind of start with this possession by possession throw throw it back let's call it even though it's going to be a a, a staple of dunked on in the playoffs of course yeah yeah so it was an eight-point game, and then Jokic hit a pick-and-pop three. Butler missed two free throws. Then, after that pick-and-pop three, Tom Thibodeau said, all right, we're going to change up our pick-and-roll coverage. We're going to switch Gibson now onto Murray. Then Murray hit one iso J on Gibson. Uh, they went to the Towns in the post for that one time, and Millsap deed him up. That was the play where Jimmy Butler, like, got the ball, a loose ball on the baseline and, like, tried to get Millsap in the air and draw the foul, and they didn't give the call. I thought it was an extremely physical game, uh, but also an inconsistently refereed game. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would, and I can imagine that that was incredibly frustrating, not only for both fan bases, which is often how we hear about inconsistent officiating, but also for the players. I mean, because you're trying to get that line, get that calibration, and I think that really did affect things later on. Like, Towns nearly had an aneurysm on the court, like, after some of these no calls and i thought he's definitely like up there for guys who complain but i mean there are a few plays especially when Jokic was guarding him like he drove baseline on Jokic, was gonna get past him and Jokic just gave him a two-hand shove into the baseline towns went up with the shot there's no call at all like that was about as obvious a, as fouls get and they definitely the rest were definitely uh, and i think they had to because there are fouls on every play kind of swallowing the whistles a little bit but towns definitely did not benefit from that but anyway that Millsap d and towns was not a foul and then they got a switch again of Gibson on Murray, same type of action, and Murray had a step back three on him, and all of a sudden uh, they were tied. But Denver would never take the lead in regulation. They actually took the lead very briefly in the overtime. Um, once they had tied it, they ran a side pick and roll for Butler, and this was a, an interesting action. A lot of times they'll run what is a common action, what's called a wedge screen, which is a small guy starts on the block on the near side, tries to screen for the big coming down from the top to get to the block but sometimes especially if the guy guarding the big tries to beat him to that spot and deny him position you can abort it and go into a pick and roll so it's called a wedge pick and roll and Denver was not able to keep Butler out of the middle he got middle for a floater out of that action where the big was kind of out of position trying to take away the post up and so Towns did the right thing and veered into setting that side pick and roll for Butler and you know when a side pick and roll if they get middle that's usually death for your defense I thought that during this stretch particularly down the end uh, that Jokic, although he had been switched off of Towns, uh, had a number of plays where he really failed as a help defender. Uh, the play where Butler missed the two free throws, uh, as a result, like he just couldn't step up and stop him. There was another play where Gibson got his dunk heroically blocked by Millsap, and Jokic couldn't get back into the play to get the rebound. Um, you know, just a, a lot of plays where he really was not able to rotate well. Uh, Bob Volgaris uh, was uh, on Jokic's defense. I, I thought that he really missed chances to step up and, and use his big body in addition to the fact that, you know, they had to mess up the matchups by just switching him off the other team's center. Uh, and, and thank God for them that they had an awesome defender like Paul Millsap next to him. That's part of why we love that signing so much uh, for Denver, even though Millsap has kind of struggled this year offensively. So I don't know. I mean, did, did you see what I was saying with Jokic defensively down the end? I did, and there are a lot of different ways that a help defender can be a positive or negative force, but just physically being there, especially, as you said, with his big body, can really, really help, and, and there were times, I mean, I think about that that offensive rebound that that, that happened as, as being kind of a pivot point, a flashpoint that could have really swung this, and Denver was, after they tied the game, was so close for so often, any single, you know, making a, a shot 10% less likely to go in, that could have ended up swinging it and getting Denver in the playoff. And, and uh, 
a lot of people, you know, Ben Falk uh, highlighted this on his site and you know with his stat of the week and that's not necessarily the point of his stat of the week is to look at film but and, and it certainly is true that Jokic avoids fouling you know similar to Kevin Love he avoids fouling he helps control the defensive backboards those are things that don't necessarily show up on the highlights but are valuable defensively but there's also just something to especially at the end of games when teams really want to attack you and you know I, I challenge these people who are like oh man Jokic is good defensively all right he gets some deflections like that helps that's part of why his RPM is so high uh you know even in our APM, you know, he's like 25th among centers. And I'm not saying he's the worst defensive center in the league. Like, that's not the case. But he's not anywhere close to the best defensive center he's not anywhere close even to you know an above average defensive center even average and so if you're trying to get to the absolute highest levels if you're trying to be the best center in basketball you've got to be better than that i just don't believe that he has the capability to ever get there whereas towns you know he at least can switch he's not they're not going to just say hey we're going to go after carl anthony towns every single time maybe they should more but you know because he's not a slow white guy maybe they don't well and you know Uh, he's going to do it more Houston. Uh, yeah, the Houston Rocks. And, and I think we'll talk about that series but this will shock you i'm going to suggest that they switch a little bit more than they currently do uh so i I think that um you know towns at least at the end of games it's just a different kind of badness that i don't think is that damaging when you really focus in on him and and yeah you know he'll not get back on defense i mean that's a big part of what kills the wolves defensively a lot and part of why i think when the game slowed down it was kind of to the wolves advantage at the end um but it's just a it's a different type of thing for towns and he's able to affect shots at the rim a little bit more though he's he's pretty obsessed with not following so in any event though denver got a key offensive rebound after jamal they ran a jamal murray pick and roll and he was able to get to a floater that rimmed in and out murray's floater game has been excellent this year and I forget who it was who tipped the ball out. I want to say it was either Millsap or Chandler. Murray got it back. He was guarded by Towns, drove into the lane, and hit an impossible lefty finish over Towns off the glass. I, I, I thought that even though Murray didn't shoot incredibly well in this game, and Jamal will be absolutely kicking himself as well for the two missed free throws that he had uh as a 90 percent free throw shooter at uh i think it was the end of the third quarter you know that's another thing that could have won this game for denver that you know murray will probably be thinking about all offseason as uh, as a guy who has hit against portland and obviously in that miracle comeback game they had against the bucks just you know three key free throws in a row a couple of times so it's not like he hasn't been clutch all season but uh that tied it again uh for denver and with about 50 seconds left again they went to this gibson setting the screen fatigue pick and roll and worth noting here by the way that that i had it wrong it that did not tie uh the game at with 50 seconds left it was actually a minute 59 was the last point scored in regulation by jamal murray tying it at 101 uh jimmy butler missed a, a tough two and then was the, the play that nikola Jokic is probably going to be thinking about for a long time oh no that was actually in the overtime so never mind i I was looking at the play-by-play there were actually two times where nikola Jokic (laughs) missed missed a layup and then they had a a shot clocker uh this was listed helpfully as a two-point shot uh i think that was actually one of Jokic's like tough i think that was the force up the 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 the, the force up late in the possession and it ended up it was one of those yeah from the corner Yeah, yeah yeah um they go to then that Teague Gibson pick and roll I thought they defended that well Gibson missed a 19 foot jumper that's you know a pretty good result for you if you're Denver and 
Jokic tried to attack Gibson again this was on the right block went baseline wasn't able to hit like a tough flip shot and I I really liked Thibodeau with about 30 seconds left going with a no timeout approach because you know that Malone would have instantly been trying to go with the defensive sub hilariously I would say the biggest surprise of the entire game was both Mike Malone and Tom Thibodeau having a total of two timeouts left with 4.4 seconds remaining after Butler missed a really tough step back and and last thing there uh uh, because they just ran the time down they knew they were going to try and get gibson to set the screen for butler and so paul Millsap was able to sniff it out and pre-switch it so Jokic wasn't involved in the pick and roll and then he switched on to butler and forced a, a really tough contest. fade away yeah I that mean, was that was paul great Millsap is such a ridiculously good defender when he's on and he can move his feet well and also his capacity to help defender like i think there were elements of this game especially late where we got a reminder of what he can be with this team and sure to a point this was a lost season due to his his surgery and everything else like that but he still has a place on this team it's just that now one of the two maybe three years of his contract has come and gone without a playoff here yeah and that's certainly a disappointment even though the nuggets did get to uh 46 wins and hit the over by the way uh of their 45 and a half uh so we we want i think actually we came into the day brooklyn detroit denver or or no denver had already we had already won it brooklyn and detroit i think and there was one other one too i can't remember which one it was now uh oh it was miami they were at 43 and their over under was 43 and a half so we actually ended up going 19 and 11 because we thought denver and clippers we were going to lose we ended up winning those because denver won every game pretty much since we had recorded that and the clippers lost every game since we had recorded that and so yeah we actually both finished 19 and 11 on our over unders which was uh gratifying uh just to, to uh make it all about us uh, again um you know I, I think butler you know again i, I don't want to kill him too much because he's coming back from this knee surgery but i thought he looked like relatively similar i I'm still not sure i mean certainly his two-way game is great but this let's throw it to jimmy butler every single time in an iso or pick and roll at the end of games and that's just going to be what we're going to do especially considering the relative lack of spacing around him on this wolves roster i i don't really like that strategy that much i just don't think that he's that good at those type of plays to make that to to be like hey this is he's not james harden he's not kevin durant on those type of plays like i you know we saw Millsap just totally lock him down like i don't think he's capable of beating the best defenders one-on-one and they'll run a lot of stuff to try to get him a better matchup but if they can't succeed in doing that you know i i think you got to vary things up a little yeah and i mean minnesota has as much as we've criticized it for not being what we would look for they have had a very successful offense this year and i think that it it undersells it and also their some of their value is their variability in their attack i mean carl anthony towns touching the ball as little as he did in the late stretch i mean he's a guy that forces defenses to adjust and to panic at certain moments and i just didn't think they involved him enough you can touches are one way of doing that but just involvement in the primary action of the play there were times when i felt like he wasn't utilized properly yeah i, I totally agree with that as we mentioned with gibson being involved so much more in the pick and roll and again and on that last play of the game too right it was or, or of, of the of regulation it was gibson being involved and then you had Millsap and you switched it and they probably you know they were trying to run the time down there because there was only about a four second differential but maybe you don't switch that if it's carl anthony towns instead Todd gibson you're not as worried about him killing you in the post 
and then it was the play that we talked about uh where they ran that post up for Jokic uh, after advancing the ball with the Nuggets last time out with 4.4 seconds remaining yeah and that was I mean I I thought Jokic was not put in a position to succeed pretty close to the baseline about 20 feet from the basket but it was also a great play by Taj Gibson got in exactly the right position so Jokic couldn't do much and then got the strip and the strip was important because even though nothing came from it Minnesota got the ball with the ability to advance it with I believe it was 1.6 left yeah and just give credit for Gibson I mean he got through a screen they weren't switching because I think they were worried about the post up so Gibson knew that was coming I mean most bigs cannot get through a screen by a guard the way Taj Gibson did getting skinny and then he managed to push Jokic out and then he knew that Jokic's one move from that far out is to go to a right shoulder fadeaway and he just stripped him It, it was awesome uh and Minnesota actually ended up getting the ball off of that play as it went off of Jokic. But uh, I'm not sure what the play call was supposed to be at the end there for Thibodeau. Uh, but Jamal Crawford lofting a fadeaway 35-footer didn't seem quite what anybody had in mind. Yeah, I mean, Minnesota's seen successful late-game scores against them, so you think maybe they could just lift something f- from anything there. <laughs> um but yeah, there's a screen for Crawford to the top. They had put him in. I mean, you know, I don't mind if the play is for him. You know, maybe they switched and took away what they're trying, but he was so far out on the floor. And I want to say they even had one more timeout that they maybe could have taken if they didn't have what they wanted there. Um, but anyway, we, we went into overtime, and in the overtime, I, I thought the Nuggets offense, again, was really rough, really tired basketball, a lot of post-ups, a lot of late clock stuff. And this is a, a team, you know, granted they don't have Gary Harris, who's part of what makes this go, but just running stuff through Jokic at the elbows, running pick and roll, I mean, just how much of that did they really do? I, I didn't really care for a lot of that uh and i thought that tom thibodeau had some nice wrinkles in the overtime to surprise michael Malone. they blitzed the pick and roll one time that i think they weren't expecting um there was another time and this is one of the key plays although butler only hit one out of two free throws to put them up two under a minute left wilson chandler had been doing a nice job trying to not switch on those small small pick and rolls with butler and usually butler will pop and so chandler he what he's trying to do is stay on the axis between the ball handler and butler and get out to the popper and either you know deny that pass intercept it or at least be there when butler caught the ball and so they actually had jimmy butler i'm not sure this is butler's caller tibbs roll right to the basket and chandler and he was so surprised he was just running out to the three-point line after the play he had totally decided what he was going to do ahead of time and butler just rolled right down the lane and got a foul that was really just a great call to totally surprise the nuggets yeah and then i think did that lead directly into the the Jokic play i think it was it was either that or was in close succession yeah i mean there there were a couple of plays there i mean Jokic got forced into like a 28 foot three and they had a shot clock violation and it actually had been the preceding play uh where Jokic finally actually got into deep post position he was able to work his way down again he was exhausted right so when a guy's exhausted his primary advantage against Taj Gibson is going to be you know not going to a fadeaway he needs to like really bully through him you got to have a lot of energy to do that but he got in a great position made a great move incredible footwork the type of lefty scoop shot that he usually excels at and for whatever reason he just airmailed it over the basket 
a tip was there uh, on the weak side by Chandler but the shot clock expired before he could get that tip and that could have given the Nuggets the lead with 55 seconds remaining uh the Nuggets had earlier managed to take their first lead of the game on a Will Barton three and then after a couple of Butler free throws the only other bucket that the Nuggets would get was a beautiful pass from Barton what they they tried again the Nuggets were trying to get some more post-ups they they ran that similar wedge action and what they tried to do was just like go over the top of that screen and so Jokic kind of went back towards a little bit and Barton threw a wonderful pass to him the help had to come and then Millsap cut right down the lane for a floater which he's excellent at and that it gave the Nuggets their last lead at at 106 105 and then it was actually jeff teague off an assist from andrew wiggins they the wolves actually reversed the ball which they had not been doing much of in the overtime and teague hit, hit a floater uh and that set up that Jokic miss layup the butler butler free throw and then will barton had a chance to tie the game with a floater that's going to be one that he's going to remember all summer probably too and that might be his last shot in a nugget uniform uh just a really short floater and Towns got a great rebound. Well, and then that was the the really weird play where at first I was angry at the Nuggets for not fouling, and then I realized, oh no, they had fouled. It's just that the refs didn't call it the first time, and then they kind of slowed down after that. It was a weird play where I thought Towns got fouled. I can't remember who did it. And then the ball kind of bounced around a little bit, and I had the the Wolves broadcast, so they were wondering whether it was kind of an off-ball foul on Wiggins, but no, they're always going to call it. If you foul on the pass, they're going to call that. that that Well, you know what? I, I, I disagree with you there, actually. I think usually if you've already gotten rid of the ball, they generally won't make that call. Uh, Ed Wiggins had like two oh, oh, you're caught talking the about ball. not calling the foul at all. Yeah, I think they usually just it, won't it, call it. And, and so they called a foul fouling Wiggins, but that was, you know, well after he'd released the ball. That was a great break in theory for the Nuggets. But then Wiggins, who is shooting 64%, and Dave, Dave Betts was like, uh, I'm not going to say anything about Wiggins' free throw shooting. You see the graphic there on the screen as they show that he was a 64% free throw shooter, but he hit two to put him up four. Murray, they ran a great play for him uh, to get a wide open three at the top that could have put him back in, within one and maybe given him a chance to tie with a three after fouling. Uh, but at that point, having missed that, uh, the game was over and it ended up ended up being uh, Butler hitting two more free throws to send Minnesota to the playoffs. So anything else you want to say on this one before we kind of break down everything else that happened and where we are now? Not really. I think I kind of put my thoughts at the outset. I feel bad for the Nuggets that they put so much into the end of the season and got so close after letting a few games go earlier on. But that's the nature of the Western Conference and we expected it to be a tough road. Maybe not who was battling for the last spot, but it's... It's unfortunate for them, and I—I I, I mean, they'll have—they'll have certainly have a chance next year. But you know, it, it is certainly unfortunate for them. I do you have yeah, anything I, else? I mean, because I have—I have an yeah. idea of something else I want to do. Well, well, just just to react to what you just said, Jokic is twenty-two, Murray this is age 20 season harris is 22 that is their core going forward they'll have Millsap returning in next year they're looking at one year of luxury tax but then they should be able to get into free agency in 2019 you know will barton how much are they going to pay him and that's going to be a key decision here you know they still got mason Plumley, who with Jokic emerging into superstardom playing those guys together doesn't really work they might want to try and get off of him they've got Fareed, they've got drill arthur you know we'll, we'll talk more about their offseason but the future is still very bright in denver the fact that they lost this game i mean 
I thought that Malone did really do poorly down the end with some of the play calls in overtime and especially for a guy who you know the offense took off in February when he stopped calling so many plays um but certainly you know the team was a little tight it's tough to play that free throwing style at the end of games people believe uh but if Mike Malone is going to get fired or not fired based on this one game that doesn't really make a lot of, of sense to me you know there seems to be you know Mark Stein was saying that there's a decent chance that he's going to return and I think the way they comported themselves at the end should only help him and you know this this Nuggets team now goes on the list of one of the best ever teams to not make the playoffs you know right up there with that 48 win Golden State team in 2008 that 2014 Suns team that won 48 you know I mean there's I think those are the two highest win teams I can't remember a team that won 47 and didn't make it so I think the Nuggets are maybe like the third highest win total uh to not make the playoffs here yeah that sounds about right so my proposal for how we do this is I think it would be interesting to lay out the playoff seating and then explain how we got there I think that's an interesting way of framing the set kind of the second half of this pod yeah sounds good to me so what do we got uh in the west here since we just finished up with uh Minnesota in Denver. Okay, so in the West, we have eight, eight seed. Now that they made it in Minnesota, we just talked about them facing number one Houston. And then due to the results, mostly of well, all results, but especially it swung on the last game, we have the Utah Jazz facing the Oklahoma City Thunder, which is a truly fascinating series. And unless I completely biffed something, I believe that the uh, the Jazz are actually the five seed in that series. That's correct. Yeah. And, and OKC will have home court uh it was a 102 93 win for the blazers over the jazz who just could not score at all in the first three quarters uh the blazers defense worked perfectly forcing them into mid-range floaters which they were missing and they got just enough offense uh, from dame lillard 13 out of 25 36 points he was easily the best player on the floor and donovan mitchell it was a struggle for him one of eight from three six out of 23 from the field for him and so you know utah uh, uh, portland though the matchups were known by the time they tipped off certainly had plenty to play for uh because you know portland's gonna be playing new orleans and utah's gonna be playing okc but certainly utah would have wanted to have home court which they're not going to have now and both of those teams would have loved i think to be on the warriors side of the bracket with the way they've been playing and steph curry you know still not that much closer to coming back yet maybe he can be there at the start of uh the second round but i certainly would rather be on the Warriors side of the bracket right well certainly especially when you we, we found out that the Spurs were going to be the seven. I mean, at that point, you're looking at just a more favorable opponent p- potentially either way. And yeah, the Warriors could be full strength at that point, but we don't know that. And so yeah, that, that ties in. I'll just go briefly. The other side of the bracket, two seven Warriors Spurs, and then three six Blazers as the higher seed facing the New Orleans Pelican. And I was going to, I think one way of framing this is the whole night is in terms of big winners and losers. And I think the biggest winner, I mean, presumably is Minnesota because Minnesota won and they made it in and a few of their things but the other one if you had to say the biggest winner i would actually say is the warriors because this bracket broke as positively for them especially considering curry's curry's current injury situation as it potentially could have oh absolutely i mean if you i would say that in their pod especially if mo harkless is not going to be back and not playing the way he was before he got hurt and he said today you know he's not sure how he's looking for the first run which big surprise right like two to three weeks knee surgery come back 
uh not going exactly as planned uh but you could say that that side of the west bracket maybe has the four worst teams as of right now the way they're playing when you consider the stephless warriors when you can and and they, you know we'll talk about this in the preview you know i think that they're going to be better how much better i i don't know um they sure, still do certainly have a lot of talent but uh the Pels have been playing great lately but you know not a team that just has all kinds of talent that really scares you outside of Anthony Davis the Spurs you know they're just too limited offensively I, I think and then Portland without Harkless you know has not been playing well they'd lost four straight and then you look at Utah OKC has you know, probably more talent uh than any of those teams except for the Warriors that's in on the other side uh Minnesota having Jimmy Butler back I mean they were the third best team in the West when they had Butler uh and then obviously Houston has been uh, on fire so i think those might be the four teams that are playing the best uh, as of right now that or or at least that i would least want to play as of this particular moment you could certainly make that argument and and i think what that would hinge on is really what the warriors rotation is going to look like but at the at the bare minimum i think you could say three out of the bottom four and we're really splitting hairs then if we talk about the other team and, and if, if we're talking about the warriors is the biggest winner having probably the three weakest teams in terms of the potential opponents for them especially I mean the Blazers they've beaten in the playoffs before yes Nurkic is healthy this time we just still don't know about Mo Harkless the Spurs assuming Kawhi Leonard is not just pulling the the Kaiser Soze and just coming back in <laughs> I, I I don't think that counts as spoiling a movie when it's been out for god 25 years something like that and some so that sort of a circumstance I think that the Spurs are our favorable one and then New Orleans I mean Davis has been an absolute terror this year and Drew Holiday his season has been I would say largely underappreciated we actually talked about that on the patreon mailbag i think a little bit ago but in terms of i think i think one way and we'll talk about this a little bit in the playoff review is just those teams don't have a ton of counter they don't have a lot of other options whereas even okc without robertson they still have a couple of different things they can throw out there and the star power is another big one damon like kind of the secondary option so i i think the warriors ended up doing well with this and at the same moment it's real rough luck for the the houston rockets they're still a fabulous team i still expect them to make it out of their part and make it to the western garbage finals but they are facing teams with high ceilings and facing teams with high ceilings especially with their circumstance in terms of Mbamute missing some time and everything else you know that brings risk yeah it does uh, although you are forgetting about uh playoff rondo uh on the other side of the bracket as well I'm, i'll be very interested to see how he's played and as a guy that we've killed by the way just to transition into a few more of the results here tonight uh the pels blew out the spurs it, it was not close really throughout uh, after the second quarter the spurs uh trailed by 18 at halftime a 34 to 17 second quarter for new orleans uh all of new orleans starters played extremely well nikola miritich who's been a big part of them playing well down the stretch here had 21 points he actually was in the starting lineup with anthony davis i think that that maybe just has helped him a little bit psychologically rondo uh has been playing much better 19 points 14 assists four steals for him at nine out of 13 from the field a lot a lot of layups for him and then drew holiday again has been awesome he had seven assists of his own it was 11 of 15 for 23 points and no spur had more than 11 points <laughs> so it was not the greatest offensive performance from the spurs and also a, a quick note here okc 137 memphis 123 the pace of this game was completely insane the offensive ratings were completely insane and uh russell westbrook got his 16 rebounds to come out of nowhere and average triple double i think he had 17 the other night and 
a lot less fanfare because I think most people are like, oh, he's, he's not going to get there and he did this last year and he hasn't been an MVP consideration this year. Memphis actually made it slightly interesting down the end, only trailing by nine after three, uh, but OKC quickly restored order. Uh, the one issue for OKC, Corey Brewer, after playing 31 minutes, left with a sprained knee, played well with 17 points. Paul George also had 40 in this one, eight out of 14 from three, so he got his, his stroke back a little bit. And uh, Rustbrook hilariously only had six points uh, on two of nine. I think he had, had only attempted three shots when he got the uh, the rebound record. He also had 19 assists just to make sure he wasn't going to not miss. Uh, he was going to miss out on the triple double with uh, by not getting enough assists. The video or, or, bribing, or bribing his teammates so that they didn't so they did boxed out everybody else instead of him on the free throws. Oh yeah, well, and the video of his last rebound is amazing because like. Carmelo even though there's nobody there he could have like easily grabbed the rebound and he just goes this exaggerated like puts his arms out like he's just like holding anyone back to like let Russ go and get the rebound I think at that point he might have even just been doing it in a joking fashion it was just it's a pretty obvious stat chasing um but at least he did it in the third quarter I mean that would have been so much worse if it had happened in the fourth yeah at least they actually won the game uh and they weren't in too much danger of losing despite 36 points from Dylan Brooks and so that that win is what of course locked Oklahoma City into that matchup with Utah and then also worth noting in Houston's 96-83 loss to the Kings in which uh, only eight players played uh one of those eight was surprise signing Aaron Jackson who actually played 35 minutes uh after his season in China was over Aaron of course was on the pod uh buddy of mine so congrats to him it's uh interesting to listen to that pod from the summer if you haven't listened to that it's actually one of my favorite pods that we've ever done uh but we're hoping to actually maybe have him come on the tour nba show but i guess he's going to be busy now because he got signed for the rest of the season so congrats to him and then also the kings uh as we'll get to the lottery standings in a moment uh had a win that they probably didn't want to get but uh so be it Uh, good news for the bulls that they they won that one should we turn to the East now? Yeah, we can turn to the East. And so we already knew the first two seeds because Boston, well, you know, they'd fallen out. They were going to be, they're going to be the second. Toronto had locked up the one and that Toronto game still went to overtime. But to go through the series and then set up how it happens, the Toronto Raptors are going to have just, just a truly fascinating series against the Washington Wizards. That is the 1-8. And then on their side of the bracket, congratulations to the Indiana Pacers. You get the five seed, Victor Oladipo. We both picked him for All-NBA, and now you get to face the Cleveland Cavaliers as the four. Yeah, the Cavs actually lost to the Knicks, but that did not matter. They rested a lot of guys before the game. I think they had a feeling that the Sixers were going to win. That was correct, even though J.J. Redick didn't play, and the Bucks actually did play Giannis. Before I even, I was at the Team USA practice here at the Hoop Summit, and by the time I got back, that game was already over, so I didn't even watch the first quarter of just how it was, the, but it was a 30-point game, like 14 minutes into the game in that one, and the Sixers will enter the playoffs on, what, a 16-game winning streak now? I mean, that's just completely insane, and so they will be the three seed. They got out of the side of the bracket with Toronto, which I think was good for them they are going to match up against the heat i would say the heat are probably the weakest 
of those three teams that they could have matched up with between the Heat, Bucks, and Wizards. So the Sixers, I think, are big winners here. Going back to your original prompt, they, to me, are probably got to be the favorite to come out of that side of the bracket and reach the uh, the Eastern Conference Finals. Oh, and, and then I, the Bucks are the other big winner by losing. Yeah, I mean, they got into the 2-7 against the Boston Celtics and created the possibility of, as many of you know, I'm a pick protection maven, of a truly fascinating circumstance it sounds like that is going to happen on Friday. While there are more important coin flips even in this draft process, this is probably the most important pick protection coin flip since the Warriors and Raptors back in 2012 when the Warriors won that coin flip to retain the pick that eventually became Harrison Barnes. If they had lost that coin flip, it would have gone to the Utah Jazz. Yeah, that was from, uh, was that the Marcus Williams trade? Yeah, that was the Marcus Williams trade, right? Yes, it was. Something I detailed in my book. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, that'll be, I'm gonna have to think long and hard about who I'm gonna favor between the Bucks and the Celtics. I mean, the Bucks have just been so unbelievably inconsistent with this, the latest uh, in that game between Philly and Milwaukee. Oh, you might not know, but th- there was a piece of history made in this game. Markel Fultz is the youngest ever to record a triple-double. Yeah, his, and his teammates went absolutely insane. He ended with 13, 10, and 10. I think he got it with like 25 seconds to go in the game. But a really nice cap- uh. a really nice capper for the end of the regular season for him. I mean, think about how tumultuous this has been for Fultz and the Sixers and everything like that. And yes, of course, getting a triple-double, especially with a- an overwhelming proportion of it, if not all of it, depending on how you quantify garbage time, coming in garbage time, it's still, you know, it's a, a, a nice little feel-good moment. Yeah, and really, I mean, it, it was such a blowout. Eric Bledsoe only played 11 minutes. I think Giannis played 22, maybe just because they wanted to get him his wind a little bit. He, he struggled uh, with 10 points on 5 of 14 from the field. Sharich was awesome a, a night after playing basically half a minute in that game against Atlanta because he had a, a chipped tooth in 24 points in, in 28 minutes and... Rashawn Holmes had 19 the whole bench was awesome but I mean it was just an absolute complete shellacking the score was 80 to 44 at halftime I mean it's just pretty embarrassing performance from the Bucks. uh Jabari got his 25 points and his uh negative 18 in the plus minus as well um I, I realized I didn't explain yeah. the background for what I was saying about the Bucks. so the reason is that they by virtue of what happened Milwaukee keeps their pick if they finish with the basically the third worst record or or stronger among the playoff teams it's the 17th pick and Miami incidentally already owes their pick to Phoenix these are two teams that owe picks to Phoenix so if Miami wins the coin toss and thus gets the 16th pick Milwaukee keeps 17 for themselves and Phoenix gets 16 either way but if Milwaukee wins the coin toss quote-unquote they get the 16th pick and then immediately send it to Phoenix in to come I believe to complete the Eric Bledsoe trade there might be a second that's still and uh we can go now to the heat and raptors i I thought the raptors had some incentive to win this game uh because i thought they would have wanted to play the heat and they tried they definitely played their guys most of the way didn't go crazy with the minutes although in the overtime game lowry and rosen did both play almost 40 minutes the heat took a two-point lead with under 20 seconds left on a nice play for a wayne ellington three and that was followed by jacob pertle tipping in a missed three-pointer from dale on right to send it into OT but then uh the heat 
outscoring the Raptors 11 to 4 in the extra session. Well, and what's so crazy about this game, and it gets into this idea which you and I have talked about before, is kind of information asymmetry and everything like that. Because early in the night, the assumption could certainly have been, hey, Miami, you want to win this game because I would rather play, and I agree with this, rather play the Sixers, especially with Joel Embiid's situation being so uncertain, than the Raptors. However, when overtime started, I believe the Wizards either had already lost or were functionally going to lose to the Magic, thus completely changing it because at that point, a Miami loss would have put them in the seven, which to me is more desirable than the six at this point. Yeah, I agree. And the Magic beat the Wizards 101-92. John Wall didn't play in this one. Otto Porter didn't play in this one either. And the Magic, this was a disastrous win for them. And they actually uh, didn't try too hard. They played Aaron Gordon, Nikola Vucevic, and DJ Augustin only 12 minutes. Kem Birch played 33 minutes. And uh, I'm guessing he played the entire last 32 minutes of the game, uh, since I doubt he and Vucevic played any <laughs> minutes together. Uh, and uh, yet uh, the Magic win. So well, Washington you- now will be the eighth seed. I was gonna say, do you want to? So, do you want to go to me to run through the lottery as well, or do you want to wait a little bit on that? No, let, let's uh, let's do the lottery here. Uh, let's uh, call it up and see uh, what these wins by the Kings and orlando got them yeah it it certainly changed the math here which is which is so interesting so right now phoenix because phoenix's their season was already over it was over on on tuesday they could win the game against dallas because they had the clearance they did win the game against dallas so they have the most ping pong balls by themselves they have a 64 percent chance of a top three pick 25 percent of number one remember this is the last year with the lottery rules memphis by virtue of actually they had they had locked in i believe they had locked in the second worst record so they have a 50 about a 56 percent chance of a top three pick then the big swing the first big swing happened with the orlando win because originally it was going to be dallas atlanta and orlando all at 24 wins instead it is now just dallas and atlanta so they have i believe it's about a 42 percent chance of a top three pick for each of those teams and i think that would have been meaningfully lower with orlando in the mix now orlando is by themselves at the fifth most pig pog balls at a 29 percent chance that's how big the drop-off is at a top three pick then a top high by virtue of Sacramento winning between Sacramento and Chicago those teams each have an 18% chance of a top three pick and Brooklyn who actually I kind of thought would have there is a reasonable chance that they could win that game against Boston in terms of weird incentives that they by virtue of losing that game the pick that they're sending to Cleveland is now the it's the eighth most ping pong balls and that that is a 10% chance of being a top three pick the Knicks then are by by themselves in 10th six uh six percent the lakers pick which goes to philly unless it is in two through five in which case it goes to boston that only has a four percent chance of being a top three pick charlotte 2.9 detroit going to the clippers unless it goes in the top three 2.5 percent chance of that pick staying with detroit clippers themselves 2.2 percent chance top three pick and the duly departed denver nuggets 1.8 percent um i trust that you have not looked at this box score yet would you care to guess who led the Boston Celtics in shot attempts with 23 shots in 20 minutes today? Oh, that feels like Yabusele. Yabusele did start. He actually was efficient, 16 points uh, on only 10 field goal attempts in 28 minutes. Uh, the starters for the Celtics were Jabari Bird, Shane Larkin, Gershon Yabusele, and Abdel Nader. And Aaron Baines what? had 26 points, 12-23 from the field, nine offensive rebounds and was plus 22 (laughs) 
And only one of those was a three, though, sadly. Oh, uh, and I, I'm sad that I missed uh, a Jared Allen, Aaron Baines game because I feel like the dunk, the dunk potential there is significant because Baines goes for stuff and Jared Allen tries stuff. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so uh, that was actually a boon. The Celtics, I mean, they certainly didn't try to win that game, but they did. Uh, and so that means now uh, Cleveland has a, a little bit better of a pick. Uh, you would have thought the Celtics might want to take that away, but, uh, you know, they weren't going to try to intentionally lose other than just not playing guys. So we're about an hour in here you want to preview a couple of these series yeah we could do that uh, do have we fi- we finished all of our uh, unfinished business well I'll, I'll say i'll give a little bit of background just for people i think this you could correct me if i'm wrong this harkens back to the early days of dunked on that i'm actually recording this from a bathroom i'm at um my hotel in orlando but still at disney world and i think in the early days or were you in a closet i'm trying to remember <laughs> um yeah because i was i had that one bedroom apartment and uh my girlfriend had like just moved in with me and so she was like had to get up to teach early in the morning so i would uh and the living room was just like so bad acoustically we couldn't do that so yeah i would usually have to go into the bathroom and so what i would do was there was like a door where you could open the um the door for the laundry and so i'd like drape a blanket over that door so i would have like this cocoon that would hopefully be acceptable acceptable acoustically and uh yeah that place really had bad acoustics and then the place i moved into after that had great acoustics i didn't have to do anything and then they got to be bad again at my new house but then we i like paid for some treatment on the wall so now it's okay but uh yeah no i guess it, it does sound a little bathroomy but uh you know that's not the end of the world we do what we need to to uh bring uh, our listeners the content absolutely so yeah let's i mean i think we might as well start with warrior spurs two teams that yeah. you and i are which, familiar with. which matchup which matchup is boring enough to be worthy of recording in a hotel bathroom <laughs> yeah i i think warrior spurs yeah is what i think warrior spurs yeah that that's easily the most boring matchup on the board do you agree with me yeah i would i would say that it is and i mean of course Kawhi coming back and being healthy would completely change that but i don't expect that at this moment yeah. so yeah i mean i i think yeah, this- and curry is not going to be reevaluated curry's not going to be reevaluated until um you know saturday i think so and it doesn't like reports have indicated that you know he's still kind of stepping down gingerly he's doing some work on the court but not really jumping at all definitely not doing anything laterally and that's the number one thing that with an mcl is going to be a problem is trying to cut laterally so uh yeah i mean i I think it does sound like you know maybe second round is more what the target's going to be for him and so with no Kawhi, no curry and just having to watch these teams uh, and the warriors i think even with curry have been a lot less watchable this year and, and i've just really loathed watching them without curry and i feel similarly about the spurs impressive though their performance without Kawhi has been this season yeah i'll get a plug in early and i wrote a little bit about this for the athletic in a roundtable that we did roundtables i can contribute to from my phone from theme parks but i think the big question here is san antonio's offense because yeah they can defend well they've done a nice job this year but i believe san antonio 17th offensively this season 19th since january 1st 2018 and even if the warriors don't have their a game defensively they should be better than they were in the regular season and it's going to rely the Spurs offense that is so much on LaMarcus Aldridge having big nights and the Warriors are pretty well disposed to not eliminating that because LaMarcus is a really talented player but at least mitigating what Aldridge can do yeah and I think that's what it's going to come down to I think that the biggest key player in this series to me 
is Draymond Green is he gonna be at that fever pitch is he gonna flip the switch you know they said after that horrible loss to Utah by 40 last night you know Green's like yeah you know we assume we can flip the switch but you know there's some concern you never know if you can do it until you do uh having Andre Iguodala back will really help they remain thin in the backcourt but I think I think it's going to be important you know we've complained about the Warriors lack of shooting all season well the one way to alleviate that is by playing Nick Young more and I still think they should play him much less I think they need to just because having him out there it's almost impossible to defend well when he's out there especially if you have one other guy who's only like a a decent defender and especially he and JaVale together I mean now you really have no chance so I think you just say hey you know what we got Kevin Durant we'll run Clay Thompson off some screens that's got to be enough offensively we're going to play Sean Livingston uh you know maybe Quinn Cook can hit some shots for us at times but we're just going to stop these guys and that's how we're going to do it and Draymond Green is going to be the key in there he's got to stop forcing so many passes because he's used to the spacing with stuff out there he can't do that without stuff out there like he's just gonna turn it over and you know he's got to bring that fever pitch defensively i mean i think his play and then also if you look at the way kd has dropped off defensively since you know the first couple months of the year but those to me have been the biggest things defensively for them they're gonna have to win this on the defensive end this warriors team has got to get back to that top five top one defensive level that we have not seen from them in maybe all but like five games this season you know that that okc game the cleveland game at home on christmas i mean there's not many games that they've been at that level another x factor in warrior spurs is Dejounte murray's defense the warriors will not run as much through their point guard as a lot of teams do because really they've been using quinn cook primarily as an off-ball player in the starting lineup now that durant and draymond green are back and he had to create a lot more in the that kind of weird span when all four all-stars were out but Dejounte murray is just such an absolute force and I could see him especially considering the Warriors are just so lax passing the ball sometimes they have these single kind of single read passes and they're just like going through the motions in the early part of their offense and if Murray just sniffs it out and gets there you Drew Holiday has done a really nice job of that at, at certain moments in the past and I could see Murray just getting a couple of possessions swung in that way and you know San Antonio not the greatest running team in the world but if you get Dejounte Murray with a head of steam and no Warrior can really catch up to him that could be you know four to four to six points in a game could could be important yeah i think because these are two good defensive teams and because these are two limited offensive teams who are gonna have to run everything through one particular superstar who guards that superstar is going to be important i would imagine that golden state will start zaza pachulia who has had some decent success against lamarcus aldridge so the spurs for their part they've been going with Aldridge at center Kyle Anderson and Green at forwards and then Patty Mills and DeJounte Murray those are the guys who started tonight's game against the Pels that was not an effective group obviously tonight Aldridge has been great but then he's struggled from the field the last couple of games and especially if the Warriors go with Draymond Green uh it'll be interesting too because what is if they play Aldridge mostly at center in one big lineups which you think is going to be now is Kerr going to go with Green at center and so if that's the case then what do you do you got katie at the four iguodala at three clay at two and then you got quinn cook maybe at the one 
you know the Spurs are not really going to go after Cook defensively I think you can get away with playing Cook because they're not going to try and like put him in small small pick and rolls and attack they don't really have the personnel to do that so that's kind of how I see it on the Spurs side uh when they have the ball do you agree with that or you think you will see it play out a little differently I think it's pretty close to that San Antonio they they're more into doing their own thing rather than the like Cleveland approach of find the weak point attack the weak point whether it takes the whole shot clock or not and and I think that a team could do that well against the Warriors and that's part of the reason they're so lucky is that I don't see San Antonio being that team and you know Powell could have some nice moments in this series but the Warriors just have this onslaught of centers and while some of them just actively will not work against Gasol some of them probably will yeah I don't think we'll see too much of JaVale McGee this series you know he really works better when they've got Steph out there also and now you've got uh, that great finishing be interesting also to see you know Jordan Bell what's his role going to be is he going to play the four which is largely what he has played I don't think he, he can't really guard Aldridge in the post uh but the Warriors are short on wing players and they're short on guards right now and I would probably rather play Jordan Bell at the four and just make sure that you're still stopping them then have to play Nick Young too much uh so that's an issue you know we could see more of Kevon Looney but Looney can't really guard Aldridge in the post that much either he probably can't even guard Pau Gasol in the post either so that's gonna be a concern I mean I think it's gonna be a lot of Pachulia at center uh and then green at center you know I think that's kind of more what they're gonna have to go to because those are their only two guys and then David West you know I think it's Pachulia West and Green if Aldridge is on the floor like those are the only three guys on this team that I trust to guard LaMarcus Aldridge yeah I, I certainly think that's fair and are there any other kind of nuances angles of this that you think we you know are necessary that we have to talk about here well I, I think so um in particular uh you know I'd like to see the Warriors go to more post-ups with Sean Livingston I think you know if with Patty Mills even Murray for all of his talent you know is not like a big banger type uh and so i think livingston just you know if he can get into the post just try to give them some offense again you know find a matchup i think it's got to be a lot more matchup based for the warriors you know the beautiful game has not worked for them i tweeted the other day that when they try to throw the ball into like draymond or something in the post that run that split cut action they probably have more turnovers than assists trying to throw the back door to the guy you know i mean that's I, I, that's not going to work you know the the spacing isn't going to be there the spurs are just going to have guys around the rim i think the warriors are just going to say hey you know what we're going to play matchup ball we're going to get clay thompson some open mid-rangers we're going to get david west some mid-rangers kd um and then you know kd in pick and roll against gasol against aldridge get to a mid-ranger and score and you know i don't think that the warriors are going to be able to put up a lot of points in this series i think that i would predict that almost all these games you know maybe the warriors will get out and run and like one game off a bunch of turnovers but i think almost all these games are going to be defensive struggles both teams below the league average in uh, offensive efficiency but we should talk a little more about like when san antonio has the ball who do you think is they're going to put on uh, on kd well i guess that's still when the warriors have the ball um Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. That, that's all right. Yeah, we've been talking about more when San Antonio has the ball. Um, I think it's. But yeah, think, who are they, they going to put on KD? I think Danny Green is the best play, especially now that they've been playing Millsap and Marie together more. Green is their best remaining perimeter defender. M- M- Mills, Mills, and uh, that's all right. I know it's. Yeah. I know it's two a.m. there in uh, in the hotel bathroom. Um, <laughs> and I mean, you know, after riding uh, Space Mountain thirty-seven times today, you might it takes 
takes a second to get back into the swing of things. It does. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that Green makes, and he doesn't necessarily have the size, but just gets into opposing scores in that way. And I don't trust Rudy Gay or Kyle Anderson. I mean, slow-mo has vexed Kevin Durant. It's been one of our kind of favorite running storylines of this season, especially in that early game that Durant just couldn't figure him out. But in a playoff series, I don't anticipate that continuing. I don't either. Uh, you know, you uh, Gay can't get through a screen, doesn't have the lateral quickness to guard KD, I don't think. Uh, you know, Murray, if KD tries to just take a one-on-one off the dribble, he can pick his pocket. But, you know, if KD gets down in the post, it, it's going to be difficult. You know, we could even see some double teams from the Spurs due to the lack of shooting that they have. But, I mean, you know, KD is the best player in the series, and he's going to have to play like it. But it, it'll be very interesting to me to see, is Pop going to do his usual and yank around Danny Green, a guy who we think more highly of than he does? You know, Green has played basically like 20 minutes or under the last three games and he has uh but he's the only guy on this team that i think is qualified to guard kd and he's done it decently if not amazingly in the past uh anderson i think you know maybe you can get away with him in stretches but anderson not really going to get over a screen if you put him and aldridge you know kd in a pick and roll and and so hopefully kerr is going to go to more pick and roll with kd i mean i think it's really it's got to be that you know the assist the beautiful game it's just especially against a team like the spurs that's not going to make defensive mistakes it's just not going to be there and so i think green is a key player in this series especially uh, we're gonna see very very few three-point attempts in this series as well i mean neither of these teams takes hardly any three-pointers um you know i think i think it wouldn't surprise me if both teams are at like 20 or under three-pointers in some of these games certainly 25 or under um that that would be a a big thing to look for here as well but i'm just it's really hard to get excited about this series i mean the 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 warriors are are just so aesthetically miserable without stuff and and, you know the spurs have been dumping into aldridge but uh aldridge at least I, i will give him respect for this I, I looked at this yesterday aldridge has touched the ball on a post up uh 1031 times this season and he's had 35 turnovers that's just completely insane uh to touch the ball in the post that often and turn it over that infrequently so uh that is one thing i mean he he may not shoot an unbelievable percentage but at least when you throw it to him you know that you're going to get a shot up are we going to do predictions i guess we are no i guess we have to yeah i mean i haven't thought about this that much uh all right so i guess we should probably also alternate who goes first um well do do you have your prediction have you thought of it yet i do Uh, i originally was going to go with i i have mine too so so i'm not so we can make sure we're not uh you know uh we're, we're not crewing off each other yeah i was originally going to go with warriors and six just because i don't trust their offense and you talked about the beautiful game betraying them to a point but i just don't think san antonio has enough for me to say that's the most likely outcome i'm gonna go most likely outcome is warriors and five <sighs> i believe that this will be a seven game series wow I think that the Warriors offense is just so much worse than people really understand and then the only way to make it good is by playing Nick Young and then that's going to kill their defense. They are going to be limited in how often they can go small. Uh, Pachulia is going to have to play a fair amount. You know without Steph it's tough to play green at center. They don't know if Patrick McCaw uh, their defense you know guys just seem to be banged up on this team green in particular just has not been the same guy and maybe he can bring it uh maybe it, it, that's gonna change maybe it'll be 2-0 warriors and they'll just you know the spurs will be scoring 92 points a game and i'll say hey how the hell did i ever think that this team you know was gonna score enough on the warriors you know maybe that'll be it but i just 
I think that the Warriors are not going to be able to run away from this team. And, you know, I wanted to say six originally, but I'm just, this is just a vote really even more against what this Warriors team is without Stephen Curry. Um, yeah, now, I, I actually... Maybe that's not fair. You know? I actually wrote about that. And the yeah, thing is that there was this kind of a conversation in the, in the roundtable about, you know, the Warriors and how this stretch goes. And the point that I made is the Warriors are vulnerable without Steph Curry. You don't need to put any qualifiers on that. We've seen it throughout time. And as great as their other three All-Stars are, the offensive flow just isn't there. I mean, even just in the minutes Kevin Durant has played without Curry, which was about 1,100 this year, the Warriors' offensive rating was 108.6. That's about league average. And remember, that's with Kevin Durant on the floor, one of the one of the most talented offensive players in the entire league. Now, you could make an argument that, to a point, their efficiency is betrayed a little bit by the idea that a lot of their stuff doesn't work as well without Curry out there. But guess what? Those same factors are still in play now. Yeah, and maybe you can. the argument can be, hey, you know what? Everyone's been injured in this 7-10 and 10 stretch without Curry. You know, KD missed time with this rib injury they've had their seed locked up they have nothing to play for maybe this stretch will be more like that nine and two stretch that they had in december when steph was injured for the first time you know maybe maybe it'll be more like that where yeah you know what they're not going to score incredibly well but the defense will be awesome you know and that's that's really what's going to determine whether we have a series if the warriors are going to play okay defense if you know they got to rely on nick young if draymond is not the same guy if they're making mistakes that they have to play javel mckee you know if they're just going to kind of be averageish on defense and averageish on, on offense we'll have a series if they get back to that fever pitch you know i think they can reach a higher level than san antonio defensively and they've got the best offensive player in the series so you know it'll be a lot easier i, I do think i mean if it goes seven i still think that the warriors have a very high chance of winning it you know if, if you had to say hey what are the chances the spurs win versus the warriors sweep or go win it in five you know the chances of that are much higher you know i still think the warriors are a very very high chance of winning this series and maybe you know late in the series they'll summon that level of desperation that they won't suffer early in the series you know i think that that they are very confident about their abilities against the spurs team without Kawhi. so maybe that could manifest itself early but i mean you know even just think back to that game that the spurs should have won against the warriors without stuff a, a couple of weeks ago in oakland you know i think some of these games could look like that and there's also keep in mind that the spurs have a history of really surprising the warriors you remember how they blew them out in that big game the first game kevin durant played in oracle last year that they were blowing them out in game one of the west finals until Kawhi got hurt so uh, with all that you know i could see san antonio stealing game one and then we got a series yeah the history of, of game one's in particular with with there is, is certainly notable and the, the Warriors actually nearly shocked the, the Spurs in game one back in 2013 but that was a lifetime and a half ago in terms of these two franchises but yeah I mean I could easily see it going see I don't have much confidence in my number I have more confidence in it and part of that is just it's hard for me to see the Spurs winning this series and so I kind of game it out but you're right I mean game one could easily go the other way how, how good are you feeling do you want to do one more I have one in mind yeah what do you want to do let's do Pacers Cavs uh I, I think to me the story of this and why it's so unfortunate for Indiana is that yes their their defense has overall you know it's it's come back a little bit for the season I, I'm impressed with that they ended the year 12th in defense and that's pretty striking when you consider where they started but the fundamental challenge here is you're going to have to outscore the Cleveland Cavaliers unless you can you know stop them somehow and the Indiana Pacers are not going to stop the Cleveland Cavaliers I don't think so I mean your number one thing is who guards LeBron James if you have to play Lance Stevenson a lot that's not good because now 
your offense really takes the hit with the lack of shooting so much of what they have is built around victor oladipo in pick and roll and shooting around him and i think he's going to give the the Cavs a lot of problems we'll, we'll get back to lebron i mean boyan bogdanovich you know he's guarded the threes most often on indiana and him trying to guard lebron is just a, it's going to be a disaster and especially if lebron tries to get in the post more often i mean it's just it's going to have to be an auto double anytime he gets into the post most likely and then uh we'll see what happens if for the Cavs starting lineup i think it's probably uh because ty Lue made that declaration that jeff green is going to start now and through the playoffs that means that kevin love is going to be the center and indiana is always going to have a traditional big on the floor they don't really have a small lineup that they can go to so that's miles turner you know is he going to guard kevin love maybe you put turner on jeff green dare jeff green to hit some threes you know that's that hopefully is your panacea there is okay you want to post up lebron fine we'll bring help off of jeff green jeff green shoes as many threes as you want if we go down that way we go down that way uh and then we'll say thad young you guard kevin love love might be able to hurt him in the post to some degree um but i don't think under any circumstances you want turner guarding love because then he's just drawn away from the basket it's gonna be very difficult i think if they play green you're really doing him a favor and then you know if they go with nance if they go with tristan thompson uh then you know you put turner on him so that's that's what i see as kind of the real crux of the matter uh a lot of it too i mean cleveland seems to be a little more inconsistent on their three-point shooting this year and then obviously there's also the minutes the Cavs have been better this year with a bench than they usually are but the minutes where LeBron doesn't play which will probably be like you know six minutes a game eight minutes a game at most in this series you know the Pacers have got to win that and, and they have probably a better bench unit you know especially if it's Jordan Clarkson maybe they can take advantage of him defensively you know if Jose Calderon plays they can do the same so that George Hill finally played today after coming back from that ankle injury we'll see how how he's gonna look um but I agree with you I mean I don't think the Pacers can stop this team it is worth noting that Indiana won the season series three games to one two of those four games were decided in the Pacers favor by a combined six points those were in Indiana's two home wins was 106-102 and 97-95. Yeah. Both those games were incredibly fun. I'm... Rare, rare clutch, uh, clutch losses for uh the Cavaliers by the way yeah and and Victor Oladipo if if the game stays close enough I could imagine him having some big games especially considering Cleveland's woeful lack of help defense except that LeBron will be more engaged on that end and that again ties in with the idea of can't do they have guys that you can help off of and if they play Lance Stevenson late then LeBron is just gonna play center field and they'll let Lance Stevenson shoot maybe one or two games he'll hit some shots but generally speaking I don't I still don't trust him on those and yeah I mean so so what would your strategy be I mean sorry Europe, but would you just play Boyan on LeBron and try to double off of Jeff Green and and just deal with it? I mean, is that what you would do, or would you play Lance? I would play Boyan and do some doubling when you need to, and just basically, it, it, it's similar to an idea actually that I advocated for Cleveland, sorry, Miami to do against the Dirk-led Mavericks in the 2011 Finals, which is let LeBron get his as a scorer, but the other guys in their team are so dependent as scorers other than maybe Kevin Love, you know, if you can try to mitigate that matchup as best you can. And let those guys try to beat you one-on-one. And yeah, LeBron will, LeBron will get some points and he'll do that. But he, I think he's more dangerous as a passer than as a scorer, even though with him, those lines are sometimes indistinguishable, which is why he's so incredible. Maybe they could try Thad Young on LeBron as well. Um 
I think Young probably has the best physical capabilities of guarding LeBron, although still, you know, LeBron still got him by 35 pounds. Um, and then obviously they're going to go after Darren Collison as well in small, small pick and rolls. And, and you know, it, it does, it seems like I can see some of these games being close down the end and then LeBron kind of just taking him home. Oh, it's worth noting that Oladipo has been good in the clutch. God, we, we, Let's talk about, uh, did you have anything else there before we kind of move to the other side of well, the ball? Well, I just wanted to note when you said see a lot of close games, we've seen that with, n- not that these two teams are remotely the same as they were then but yeah last yeah year. i mean that was the i believe the closest sweep ever and i'm not this spoiler i'm not going to predict a sweep but there could be some similar elements here where even the like a lot of the games stay close but that the advantages cleveland has just manifest a little bit more late yeah and it does seem like you know cleveland clearly it was it was obvious that the bucks were going to lose and and cleveland was going to be the four seed nearly regardless and i don't really mind that that much for cleveland because you're worrying about getting to the finals you're gonna have to play toronto anyway so fuck it like why not just play him in the second round um and and there's no real health issue either way there you know oh like yeah. oh you need to you need to play them in the second round because blankety blank is not coming back no toronto's i mean the assumption you need to make is that they'll be full strength away so victor oladipo i think would give cleveland a lot of problems what we've seen coach lou do in the past is try to get the ball out of oladipo's hands uh or you know it, going back two years ago especially because they're more concerned about drummond as a roller they wanted to make drummond make a decision at the free throw line not something he was capable of doing at that time but you know oladipo with the head of steam kevin love laying back and pick and roll defense like that's not going to work they've had love out on the floor hedging he actually had some effectiveness in that game against the raptors late that we could see oladipo just he's so fast that he could still maybe just blow by love even if they do try to get out there and hedge uh or even maybe even it's not even really hedging it's more trapping uh with love recently but it does seem like that's going to be the strategy maybe we'll see more of larry nance although he's not that quick laterally maybe we'll see more tristan thompson and and they'll play love at the foursome but then you would think they'll probably try to just have thad young come and set the screen instead and and young is a capable playmaker you've also got miles turner I, i think that they would be really smart to run a lot of high pick and roll turner and have him pick and pop to three and then you know especially if you're not doing it to the corner it's really just difficult to bring another guy up all the way to the three-point line and help on someone like turner and then you're leaving a lot of other openings turner is not going to really attack off the dribble as much uh but sabonis can do that and make a good decision when he's the one setting the screen so that i think is going to be the key battle is what happens when they get love involved in pick and roll and they try to get the ball out of the primary guy's hands can they just go around love can that big make a decision and you know they've got a lot of shooting around those plays so is it going to be difficult to bring a third guy over to deal with the role man that's what i see you know the pacers don't run you know maybe that'll change a little bit during the playoffs but they don't run a lot of complicated stuff especially at the end of quarters at the end of games it's victor oladipo high pick and roll and you know that they're going to be ready you know maybe they'll go a little bit smaller as well they'll try and pre-switch to get lebron up there to help out or jeff green or something uh but i don't really think that cleveland has the guys you know they're going to protect their point guard defenders a little bit too with that pick and roll strategy you know george hill is not what he used to be so expecting someone to get over the screen and stay with oladipo going downhill because if they let oladipo get downhill they don't have anyone other than lebron who can stop him at the rim and or if they do bring a lot of help he's going to be able to find shooters so i I do think that the pacers can score pretty well but just and i expect a lot of these games to be close it's just a question of you know lebron or victor oladipo at the end of games are probably going to go with lebron in that matchup despite the respect i have for what oladipo has done this season 
season. Yeah, and also Cleveland, I think, just has more options, more versatility there. I mean, they have some of these lineups they can throw out there with Corver, and especially with, it sounds like Hood, while he did not play on Wednesday against the Knicks, it sounds like he will be available to play starting at the beginning of the playoffs. And so they, you know, if a guy's not hot, JR, of course, can, can be in this mix as well. They can try out other guys, whereas Indiana, they don't have as much versatility, and I'm also not super comfortable with Nate McMillan maximizing it, even though I think he has done a nice coaching job with team this year. He does a lot more of the kind of hot hand type stuff where it's like, oh, well, you know, these guys help bring the game back or all that kind of stuff. And I don't think that works as well against Cleveland because Cleveland's, their highs are just so high. Another guy who could get into the mix when Cleveland has the ball is GR3. You know, maybe he's has a little bit more shooting potential than Lance. They'll probably try him on LeBron. I don't expect that to work. I don't think he has the heft even that Lance does. Um, but yeah, I mean, those to me, those are the two biggest things that I'll be watching in this series is, you know, who's going to guard LeBron? Is it going to be Boyan? Is it going to be Lance Stevenson? Is it Thad Young? Is it GR3? And then who do they put on Love? And then how do they deal with the Victor Oladipo pick and roll defensively? And then what are the Pacers counters to that? I think those are going to be some of the biggest things that'll decide the series. Anything else you think we need to discuss before predictions? No. Uh, so I have to go first this time, right? Um, let's see. I picked the Cleveland Cavaliers to take it in five relatively hard-fought games. Yeah, I'm saying Cavs in five as well. I could easily see this going five, six, or four. Seven would be a little bit of a push. When does it ever go six with Cleveland in the East, though, man? I mean, I I feel like if it's anything, I think it's either a sweep or it's five. I I just, I am done picking against LeBron James even to go to six games in the East playoffs until, like, they either look more vulnerable. And even when they did look vulnerable, they look kind of vulnerable in that sweep. So I thought maybe that the Raptors could take him to six last year. And uh, no, no, that wasn't the case, as it turned out. Although Lowry getting hurt didn't help that. Uh, So... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm on the Cleveland bandwagon in the East until I find a lot of reason to, to see otherwise. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, just, I, I think that Oladipo and Indiana's offensive talent, I mean, all it's really going to take is one other extra hot night shooting. I could I could see it going six. I also trust Cleveland's defense substantially less this year than I than I have in other years where I thought that gave them a little bit more viability, you know, that the lows weren't as low as they have been this year. But I do think yeah. they'll go And Tristan Thompson, Tr- Tristan Thompson, you know, who was part of like that switching defense that they had you know that's like he's not really in the mix anymore you know it seems like it seems like he's the th- going to be the third center you know this decision to start jeff green and start love at the five means you know and larry nance who you know is going to provide a real element for them with that vertical finishing that we haven't seen yet but uh for this team in the playoffs but you know tristan thompson sounds like he's going to be the third center maybe they experimented a little bit with playing nance and thompson together but only in these last few games so and i don't know how well that can work offensively you know they really like their spacing around lebron um so yeah i mean and i don't think nance is the type of defender that thompson was two years ago he clearly has fallen off since then the pacers are a weak defensive rebounding team you know maybe that's where thompson could come into play but again he just seems like so such a small part of what they've been doing all year starting off with that calf injury that uh you know i don't expect him to do that much i mean maybe i could see maybe if they run into some trouble they kind of break the glass on him and and play him more who knows yeah it's certainly possible and i think that's going to become more relevant as 
as we look at a potential series with the Toronto Raptors in the second round. So what we see from Tristan Thompson, even if this ends up being a short series, will linger for us. All right, well, uh, I think that'll do it. Uh, you, you got anything to plug uh, other than just the rest of our playoff preview tomorrow? Uh, I think so that I'll have that piece that a roundtable that I'm a part of for The Athletic. The uh, off-season previews are coming in the near future. I worked on them a little bit during this trip. And then, uh, I mean, we might as well mention that the Twitter NBA show is going to be back in full force in the very near future. Has the schedule come out yet? The playoff schedule while we've been talking? The last I saw was media members complaining that it was not out yet. <laughs> impossible oh, oh you want to do <laughs> some live reaction let's hear it the knicks have dismissed uh coach jeff hornacek wow i mean i, I mean I, this is such a surprise i really am gonna have to gather my well, thoughts do, do you here. want to hear the list of uh, people that Woj said are among the, the people that they're expected to contact c- can i sure. guess some there are only three on this list mark uh is mark jackson yes, one is. of them oh that's correct uh Jeff Van Gundy? He is not on this list of, of three. Okay, that probably makes sense. Uh, there, it, it seemed like they might be like trying to reconcile with him. That, that was, I, I know they've had like this feud, but I thought that I had read like some rumor that they were maybe trying to reconcile with him. But uh, all right, who else is there? David Fisdale and okay. former LeBron James coach David Blatt. Yeah, those are some very, very different coaches. <laughs> Uh, so I, I guess uh, that big play for LeBron this summer, uh, if they hire Blatt, probably not going to work out. I mean, I think if I had to pick between those three, that Fizdale would probably be the one, but it, he, he might have other options. You know, I don't know if he would necessarily even want to go to a New York team that's going to be missing Kristaps Porzingis for half the season. Uh, yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, we've said before that Jackson this fits into the archetype of what he was able to do in golden state he also will fit right into the backstabbing culture that is madison square garden i certainly would predict that while he might have some initial success that that would end poorly for either him or uh the knicks uh, i do want to say a few things about jeff hornacek though and we've mentioned this before i talked about this some with stein when he said that he was going to get dismissed really has gotten a raw deal like we don't really know if jeff hornacek is coach and in fact whenever he's been in a situation that's been even close to a real nba team he's had success right completely out of nowhere 48 and 34 for a Suns team that was supposed to be like tanking for the number one pick then they actually were pretty close to playoff contention the next year until they traded away goran dragic and at that point you know they really just didn't have an nba team around and there was a lot of infighting at that point maybe could have handled it better the next season to some degree but then they like fired his assistant and you know he ended up getting dismissed and then last year the phil jackson drama carmelo is he going to get traded he wants out uh porzingis oh how about we're gonna how about we trade you porzingis now jackson is out but we just let him make the draft pick a week before he's gone and then the way they started this year i mean with porzingis they were in a little bit of a tailspin towards the end but you know they started off as well as could possibly have been expected even you know they're right around what their over under was even considering that Porzingis missed half the year this year so yeah you know he almost got in a fight with Joakim Noah at practice and it seems to have been a contentious relationship and this wasn't Scott Perry slash Steve Mills's guy but uh, I do think that you know Hornacek's never going to be a premium candidate and I'm sure he's had some culpability for the dysfunction in both of his stops but when he's actually had a real team behind mm-hmm. him I, I think he's been okay to go to it oh and t- let's not forget he had to run the fucking triangle last year too you know that, that was that, that didn't help either and I thought that, that he did a pretty good job of maximizing Porzingis's talents this year so I uh, do you have a different assessment of Hornacek not really it's tired I'm, I mean I'm tired wow 
It's 2.27 in the morning. All right, all right. We'll, we'll let you go here. We'll finish this up tomorrow. Not sure on the timing yet. We'll we'll figure that out. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Twitter NBA show, will whatever day the Warriors don't play, we'll definitely do it over the weekend. And maybe even, uh, we're going to, I think, try and do it pretty much every day that the Warriors don't play in the first, play at home in the first round or, or pretty close to it. Uh, I mean, we may just start to go insane after a little while, especially if we're doing multiple games a day. But we're going to try and do it as much as we can. So check, uh, check my Twitter account. Uh, and uh we'll try and post the schedule maybe even pin it as a the schedule uh to my twitter account so that information will be there for you we hope you'll check that out and uh we will talk to y'all next time till then